We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul is looking back at his ministry in Thessalonica, which was only a few weeks long, and he's having to defend himself against criticism. And he's using different metaphors to describe the work of a pastor. And we've been looking at these not only so that we can understand better what myself and Andy and the elders are to be like, but for all of us as Christians, what graces we are to emulate. And Paul has already used the picture of a steward who's been entrusted uh, with goods, and he's got to be faithful. Then he's used the picture of a parent, a gentle mother, and a firm, loving father. And last time we looked at the fatherly exhortation to walk worthy. Now we're moving to the fourth or the third metaphor that Paul uses, and that is the herald. Herald. So verse 13, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. A herald is somebody who is appointed to bring a message. Uh, if you remember the old town criers, I'm not going to do an impression of one, but in a sense, they were heralds. Or if you think of a newsreader, a newsreader isn't reading uh, their own news. They are representing uh, the BBC or whatever other news agency they are working for. They are heralding the news. And so this is uh, what Paul is thinking of in terms of the preacher. I'm a herald this evening. There's something serious, not doer, but serious about what we are involved in this evening. Now, I find it a lovely thing that Paul here, in dealing with criticism, and nobody likes criticism, we get all hot under the collar, don't we, uh, when people criticize us. But what does Paul do? For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Isn't that lovely? He's thanking God for the way the people in Thessalonica responded to his preaching. Whenever you ask pastors where the fault lies, they will always say, or sometimes they will say, it's the congregation. If you ask the congregation where the fault lies, they will sometimes say, not always, it's the preaching. Paul here doesn't either. He thanks God for the response of the people in Thessalonica to his preaching. So all we're going to do tonight is think of the preaching as heralding good news and it's a two-way thing. Preaching is a two-way thing. I hope you haven't come to church tonight thinking that because Heath is old-fashioned, it's just a one-man show. It's not. It's a two-way activity. I'm bringing the message, and you are to respond. 
to the message. So it's never one or the other. It's always two-way. That's challenging as well as comforting, is it not? So let's look first at this heralding, this preaching. My, doesn't have Paul have a high view of what preaching is? Let's read the words again. They're worth repeating. When you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. I'm not giving a talk tonight. Paul wasn't giving a talk in Thessalonica. He was bringing a message. And that message wasn't something he had concocted. It was the very word of God. Paul is using the same kind of language as you find in the prophets. For example, in Jeremiah, we had the word of the Lord this morning came to Jeremiah a second time. This is what Paul has in mind here. Or one of the more famous statements in the prophets, thus saith the Lord. Now, we need to be careful here. The prophets, when they were speaking, they didn't have all the scriptures. And so what the prophets were speaking was the very word of God, infallible. Even Paul, in some of his letters, he was writing the very word of God. But Paul isn't thinking just of that here. He's thinking, notice, not just of his own preaching, but of the preaching of Timothy and Silas. So this isn't a megalomaniac speaking. He's thinking of the preaching that we have known throughout the ages, and he's saying true preaching is prophetic because the preacher comes with the message from God's word. It's not the same as the prophets in the sense that the preacher is creating the word of God. We've got all the scriptures in our Bibles. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Is God-breathed. But just as the prophets were given by the spirits, the words. So when the word of God is being opened and when the preacher is doing that, not in a self-appointed manner, no prophet appointed himself. The false prophets did. A true prophet was called of God. But when a preacher who is called of God is faithfully opening the word of God and relying on the Holy Spirit for power, then, according to Paul here, what is being preached is the very word of God. Now, that's a very high view of preaching, isn't it? Do you think I'm going too far? I've got a conflict of interest, obviously, because I'm a preacher. What do you make of this? How are they to hear Romans 10 without a preacher? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Who sends the preacher? It's not just the church. The church is involved. It's God. All the church does is recognize God's calling. And then 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Andy, you've got beautiful feet. I've got beautiful feet. The meanest preacher has got beautiful feet because we've got a beautiful saviour. And what about Paul writing to the Corinthians? And he was writing to a church that was beset with problems. And in 2 Corinthians 5, he puts it like this, on the same theme as a herald. Now, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador certainly doesn't appoint himself. He's sent from his country. And he has to speak the message that he's given. He can't uh, divert from that. And this is how Paul puts it, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you through us. Did you get that? Let me read it again. As though God did plead with you through us. We pray you in Christ's stead. It's even stronger. As if Christ himself is speaking. Be reconciled to God. Now that's an extremely high view of preaching. In other words, what Paul is saying in Corinthians and in Thessalonians and whoever the preacher is, if he's called of God, if he's opening the word of God, it's Christ who is speaking through the preacher. I'm not here on my own uh, kind of uh, ego trip tonight I would never stand in the pulpit if that was the case because I'm so shy I'm here because Christ has called me and when I'm opening the words of Christ he is the one that is speaking through me and any preacher it's an awesome task no wonder Jeremiah didn't want to prophesy when God called him I was reading Spurgeon. If you've never used the checkbook of the Bank of Faith by Spurgeon, a book of daily readings, get it. Uh, and I was reading this morning, March the 13th. It is March the 13th, I think. Then said I, ah, Lord God, this is Jeremiah, when God's call came to him. Behold, I can't speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. And Spurgeon goes on to say, an encouragement for you if you're involved in any kind of ministry. Jeremiah was young and felt a natural shrinking when sent upon a great errand by the Lord. But he who sent him would not have him say, I am a child. What he was in himself must not be mentioned, but lost in the consideration that he was chosen to speak for God. He had not to think out and invent a message, nor to choose an audience. He was to speak what God commanded and speak where God sent him. And this he would be enabled to do in strength, not his own. The great John Calvin put it like this. When a preacher who is duly called and appointed by God speaks, it's as if God himself were speaking through him. The word of God is not distinguished from the word of the prophet. God wishes to be heard 
through the voice of his ministers. I know there are degrees of God speaking. I know, like Paul in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5, it's possible to be in a service where the gospel comes not just in word, but in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. But even if we don't know that degree of anointing, it's still the word of God that is being proclaimed. And woe be any who disobey that word. And woe be unto me if I preach not the gospel. Woe to any preacher who enters the pulpit in order to preach his own ideas. Woe to any preacher who appoints himself. Woe to any preacher who is preaching the fads that are popular at the moment. Give us the word. Truth unchanged, unchanging. May, may you as a congregation realize the awesomeness of the task which we are about. Isn't that why in one sense we meet every week on a Wednesday evening to pray that God would anoint the preaching and the hearing? May, may we who are preachers have this profound conviction that our message is of God. Nigel Council used to encourage me. He would say to me, it doesn't matter what you feel like, you are in that pulpit on Sunday by divine appointment. You can't argue with that, can you? By divine appointment. And it doesn't matter what we feel like, the message that is in this book is divine. What a privilege, as well as a responsibility. John Lennon sang, Nothing to live or die for. Above us only sky. I don't want to be a preacher if there's nothing to live or die for. If there's nothing to live or die for, what's the point of getting up in the morning? If there's nothing to live or die for, what's the point of having a church? If there's nothing to live or die for, what's the point of having a plan? But the reverse is true. If there are certain things that you are to live and die for, then they're worth every nerve of your body in endeavouring towards, aren't they? And if this is about God's word, the word of salvation, the word that saves our soul, then it is something worth living and dying for. No wonder Martin Luther, Martin Luther uh, hadn't heard of John Lennon, but Martin Luther, when he was standing before the great and the good in the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was facing the death penalty. That's what had happened a generation or so before to John Hus for doing the same as Luther, for defying the Pope. And so Luther knew that what he had to stand for was something that was life or death. And Luther had this profound conviction that what he had discovered in the word that had been uh, hidden by centuries of tradition, what he had dug was worth living and dying for.
unless I am convinced by the testimony of scriptures or by clear reason, he said. For I do not trust in the Pope or the councils. I am bound to the scriptures. My conscience is bound to the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me, God. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me, God. If God doesn't help us, there is no power. But what a privilege to bring the word of God. Now, the hearing, the hearing. It's a two-way thing. The preacher is the herald, God appointed, bringing God's word, empowered by God. But you have a responsibility to respond. Have they ever had a seminar on how to respond to sermons in the Aber Conference? Have they ever had a seminar on that? Look at how the Thessalonians responded. Paul is profoundly thankful. He gives thanks to God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Isn't that a lovely description of their response to the preaching of the word? In other words, they appreciated the preaching of the word of God. I'm going to be blunt here. Before I was converted, I hated going to church. There was nowhere... Uh, I wanted to be uh, anywhere but the chapel. And the preaching was the most boring part. As soon as I was saved, I couldn't get enough of preaching. Isn't that interesting? These people, they're, they're babes in Christ. And they're just welcoming with open arms the apostle and his uh, missionary team. Now, they were not sermon tasters. You had that in uh, Corinth, didn't you? Some said, I am of Paul. Others said, I am of Apollos. Others said, I am of Cephas. No, no. They weren't so much interested in hearing Paul or in hearing Timothy or in hearing Silas. It was the word of God that they wanted to hear. And it didn't matter who the servant was. It was God speaking through them. We're in danger of worshipping preachers, aren't we, in Wales? But have we come not to hear me or to hear Andy or to hear another preacher, but to hear what God is saying in his word? That, that's a different attitude, isn't it? This is uh, what one commentator said. The written word, the Bible, leads to the living word. There's a church in West Wales which has a notice in the pulpit. You can't see it. Only the preacher can. And it says, please read from the authorised version. That's all right. But the next bit is the best. Sir, we would see Jesus. The written word leads to the living word. American Tourists over in this country in the 19th century, they went to hear one of the great pulpiteers Sunday morning. Can't remember the name of the preacher. They left saying, what a great sermon. 
What great preaching. They went to hear Spurgeon Sunday evening. A great preacher, I'm sure. But they didn't say that, did they? They said, what a great saviour. What a great saviour. The written word leads to the living word. Both, says Wearsby, are bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. Both are lights. Thy word is a light unto my path. I am the light of the world. Both are truth. Sanctify them through the truth. Thy word is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit gave birth to Jesus through a holy woman. And he gave birth to the Bible through holy men of God. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. And the word of God will stand forever. Isn't that good? I think that sorts out the constant dilemma of how many times should we read our Bibles? How many meetings should we have? We can get all bound, can't we, by our own tradition. Uh, we sang in that last hymn, in the last stanza, when we are uh, feeding on the word of God, we're freed from human bondage. And it's not about going to one meeting or another meeting. Yes, if we're embracing the word, we will enjoy going to meetings. But the meetings is the means, the word or Christ in the word is the end. And what we want is to be fed. What we want is food. Food. The bread of life. Break it, Lord, to me. I don't want a fancy meal. I just want good, honest food. I'm only a pastor, so I don't normally eat in expensive restaurants, but they're not worth it, are they? You only have a little bit of food. It's nicely arranged, but it doesn't fill you. Wouldn't you rather go to a cafe and have a good, honest, home-cooked meal? We haven't come here to taste dainties. Give us this day, not our dainties, but our daily bread. I heard this um, listening to Duncan Campbell on tape. A child asked, I don't know if it was Duncan Campbell or somebody else, he asked his dad, Dad, why do we have to... Well, why do we have to go to church twice on a Sunday? Dad, why do we have to read our Bibles every day? And you know what the father said? He didn't say because we have to. He just said, son, why do you have to eat two meals a day? That's what my mum said to me. You've got to have two square meals a day. Because we need food to strengthen our bodies. We need spiritual food to strengthen our souls. So don't think about how much time you spend in the Word. Don't think about how many meetings you can make. Just feed. Just feed. Sometimes, you know, it's possible to have such a big feast, you, you can't eat anything for the rest of the day, can you? I sometimes wonder uh, what happens in parts of the world, and I've been to services, where they only have one service on a Sunday. And we may think them unspiritual. Now, often that may be the case, but in some parts of the world, it's not the case. Because if that one service lasts for about four hours, it's such a big feast, you can't eat anything else spiritually. Do we embrace the Word of God? Do we come to church in order 
to have a feast. We may lack money, resources. Think of the church in uh, the time of the Thessalonians. They weren't rich. They didn't have the great and the good on their side. But they had the word. And the spirit was upon the word. And they released the word. And that's all that mattered. When the church became rich and established and had the great and the good, it lost the word. May we have the word. It's fine gold, isn't it? Better than gold. What did we used to sing as an introits? Can you remember the words? We love the word of life. The word that tells of peace, of comfort in the strife and joy that never cease. Now, if you love something, if you enjoy something, you're going to respond, aren't you? It just follows. Look at something else that we're told here. Not only did they appreciate the word, they appropriated the word, the word received. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. They received it as the Bereans received it. Do you know what the Bereans did? After Thessalonica, Paul and his companions went to Berea, and these people received the word. What did that mean? It meant they didn't take what Paul said as gospel. That's the danger of overemphasizing the prophetic elements in preaching. Don't take every word that me or Andy is going to say from this pulpit as the truth. Do what the Bereans did. Compare it to Scripture. We've got Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones hung up in the vestry there, and we highly esteem him in the Lord. Even if you're reading Dr. Martin... Right? You've got to hold the Bible next to him and make sure what he's teaching is the word of God. You receive what's the word. Don't just accept everything and anything that a preacher says. And then they heard, they heard. That's an important word because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, there's different kinds of hearing. There's the physical hearing, but that's not what Paul is thinking about here. There is also the hearing of the hearts. Do you know the difference? A preacher once preached, and he didn't feel that he preached very well. And somebody came up to him at the end and said, I heard well. Now, that preacher wasn't raising his voice or anything. What that person meant was, I heard the Lord speak. I was hearing, not just with my ears, but with my hearts. That's why Jesus said, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear as if your very life depends on it. Because it does. Not just your temporal life, but your eternal life. And hear from the hearts. When did we last hear from the hearts? When did we last say, the Lord spoke to me? And I'm not thinking now of visions. I believe God can do that. I'm not thinking of dreams. I believe God can do that. I'm not thinking of an audible voice. I'm thinking of the Spirit impressing a truth upon our hearts, the hearing of the hearts.
Have we got itchy ears? Have we got itchy ears? Or have we got happy ears? Because they're hearing ears. There were people in Paul's day when he wrote 2 Timothy, they had itchy ears. All they wanted to hear was the latest thing. We haven't come here to do that. We've come here to hear truth unchanged, unchanging. Give me but Jesus, my Lord, crucified. How easily we get preoccupied with the outward. How easily we get preoccupied with a preacher's accent, with a preacher's style, with a preacher's dress, with a preacher's, I don't know. It doesn't matter. What matters is this. I'm coming to church to hear what God is saying. I was put in my place in a conference a few years ago uh, because one preacher, he was wearing a bright blue jumper. A bright blue jumper. And I thought, I can't hear, I can't hear. That jumper is in the way. But God spoke through that preacher. More so than he spoke through those that were more formal. That taught me a lesson. What is the Lord saying? If we came to church with that prayer, we would be happy indeed. And then I've got to hurry to a conclusion. They welcomed the word they appropriated it. They appreciated it. I can't get this starting with the letter A. They welcomed it. They welcomed it. They applied it. They meditated on it. They chewed it. Uh, they sucked the marrow out of it. That's what I'm trying to do going through Thessalonians. I'm trying to suck all the spiritual nutrients out of these verses uh, it's good, isn't it, to have men like Howell Jones who have such an understanding of the original languages. They can really get things out of the word. We're, we're, we're not Bibolaters. We don't worship the book, but we want so much out of this word. We read commentaries about it just to get everything out. And then they applied it, didn't they? They applied it. Uh, how did Paul finish? As I have to come to a conclusion it's the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. They mixed their hearing, they heard from the heart, and they mixed it with what? Faith. Uh, the writer to the Hebrew says, the word did not profit those in Israel in the wilderness because they did not mix it with faith. Uh, some houses today, the mortar's got too much sand in it. And you get holes then uh, going into the mortar. Sometimes there's so much sand in our hearing. We need the mortar of faith. It doesn't matter how much we know. It's how much we take in by faith and put into practice by faith. I believe, therefore have I spoken. Have you ever wondered about those who were miraculously healed by Jesus, how they responded. Uh, think of the man that was lame. He had no power to obey, right? No power. And all Jesus said was, get up, take up your bed, and walk. 
What did that man do? Did he say, I've got no power? Well, he would have been right saying that. But Jesus was speaking God's word. And when God says, get up, take up your bed and walk, there's power in the word. And we, don't we, we say, oh, I can't do this. I can't live in the way that the Bible commands me to live. Why not? There is power in the word. I'm weak, you say. I've got no strength. The situation that we're facing today, no one has faced a situation like it before. Yes, they have. It's been worse before. Nothing takes God by surprise. But this is the point. However insufficient and weak we may feel, there's power in the word of God. And actually, there's power in you as well. There is the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's uh, harmony, isn't there, between what the Spirit has inspired in the word and what the Spirit has created in us. Just as when Elizabeth visited Mary and the babe in Mary's womb jumped at the one in uh, the other way around. The babe in Elizabeth's womb jumped at the one in Mary's womb. And so the life of Christ in us, the Spirit, it responds to what is here. We're not interested in tradition. We're interested in the Word of God. There is power in the Word of God. Let us take this Word Pray for me and Andy and other preachers that we would come with thus saith the Lord. But respond to the word. Don't look at the outward, but pray, Lord, speak, speak. What have you got to say to me? What have you got to say to us as a church? And whatever God says, you obey, I obey. Because he empowers his word. May we be changed by this word. This is revolutionary. It wouldn't be a revival, but it would be a revolution, spiritually speaking, if we put into practice what we heard Sunday by Sunday, what we read in the word of God. Don't you want a revolution? There's nothing to rebel against today. I think there's a place for us as Christians to start rebelling. Let's start rebelling by reading our Bibles. Let's start rebelling by using the power of prayer, let's start rebelling by preaching with conviction. Let's be rebels. Let's be nonconformists. That's what this church was founded as, and I'll better stop there for his namesake. Let's sing as we close. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah pilgrim, through this barren land. I am weak. You are weak. But it doesn't matter because thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. And then, what have we been considering? Bread of heaven, the word. Feed me. Is it till I want no more or now and evermore? Whatever you know best. Uh, this is a great hymn and it's number 728. <laughs> Bye.
glad that we haven't got long before we arrive home. And we just don't want to be going around in circles like the children of Israel were in this wilderness. We want to go forward and we want to know that cloudy pillar and that pillar of fire. And we just thank thee for the awesome privilege of being heralds of thy word. Pray for myself and Andy that we would be that and may we be empowered more and more by the Spirit. And we thank thee for this congregation as well. We thank thee for the godliness and the witness of this church. Father, give us a, a listening ear, we pray. Don't let us uh, become uh, sermon tasters. Don't let us concentrate on outward things, but on the Spirit speaking in the Word. We would see Jesus. That's our prayer. Give us a sight of Jesus, that we would be blinded by the lights. Oh, Lord our God, may the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forever. Amen.